Hello and welcome to another episode of Ideaprov um, with your host Mike Patterson. I have a really uh, quality guest here today that I'm really excited about the, the topic that we're that we're um, we're going to be diving into. Um, but first, I want to introduce him. His name is Andy. He comes to us over from the UK. Um, so, Andy, how how are you? How's how's life? Um, how you been? I'm good, Mike. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Um, so, you want me to tell you a little bit about myself? And, sure, uh, that'd be great. <laughs> I um, I work mainly in a method called Kanban. Um, Kanban's one of those things that either people haven't heard out about at all, or unless they're in IT, or uh, they probably have come across it in the context of manufacturing or maybe uh, delivery drivers and so on, using Kanban to make sure deliveries um, arrive on time, to track work, that kind of stuff in a physical sense. And a few years ago, a guy called David Anderson um, and uh, some of his colleagues and and actually through a number of people across the world as well looking at how to use insights from lean manufacturing and Toyota production system these places which are using ways of managing work in manufacturing systems could they be applied to the kind of work most of us do these days which was, comes under the label of knowledge work but basically we're working with computers we're working with our mind more than physical um, aspects but we still want to keep the idea of um, the flow of work that we do delivering value to our customers on a regular basis and so that's the idea behind Kanban is to turn what the way we work into a continuous flow of value between um, us providing a service or providing um, products to customers um, in a continual manner, continually flowing through the way we work. And uh, so flow is a sort of good good um, link to Kanban. One of the key ideas is that uh, we limit the work in progress. I don't know if that's uh, something that resonates with you, but uh, most of us take on more work and are trying to work on multiple things at the same time. And that, mm -hmm. uh, that stops flow in another sense. You know, when you can get into flow, when you're in the position where work is just you're just concentrating on something focused on it and work flows you know you just get uh, you, you're a musician Mike aren't you is that right yeah I'm, yeah. I'm a dabble musician you get <laughs> you in that just, zone you know <laughs> exactly and so again that's the idea of flow and so the main way I, I work with uh, clients these days in talking about Kanban is to get them to see their work differently get it instead of thinking about what is my skill and how do I keep myself busy at my skill? How do I continuously get this flow of value between the people I'm um, serving, my customers or my clients, um, and what they need and continuously delivering value to them? So it links into um, uh, another movement, the Agile movement, um, which has been very prevalent in software development, for example, um, where we change around the way we think about projects um, and this idea of delivering this big thing which may take several years to specify and even more years to deliver into again a continuous flow of value a continuous way of changing things and delivering bit by bit what the customer needs so uh, the, some of those ideas in Kanban um, I wrote a, wrote a small book with um, David Anderson called Essential Kanban Condensed you know here's a little plug uh, and that book it's a thin book so but it's quite it's quite technical because um, it's um, trying to draw together the wide range of um, ideas in Kanban and show the breadth of what is covered by that method so um, yeah that's that's what I do I think of myself as a Kanban guide <laughs> uh, in both sense of the words and uh, you know that's uh, a lens that I tend to look at things through. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know we just kind of jumped into your, to your segment, but um, like, what is, I guess, with regards to Kanban, right? Um, what has been, like, I guess, like the pushback or the or um, 
I guess maybe the negatives that people seem to grapple with when, when trying to use the method. Is it always kind of smooth and they understand things easily or is it, does it take a little so, time to kind of get used it's, to? It's interesting because it's not, it's not like a method which has got um, a set of rules that you've got to follow and this is the way it works. It's, that, that it's not that kind of thing. I like to think of it more of as a way of looking at the, what you are doing and the way you're doing it now and transforming it in the sense of, well, you know, if you're completely happy with the way you're working, if everything's going smoothly, if you're continuously de delivering value to your customers, then we don't need to change much. And we don't need to, you know, it's all great, isn't it? Um, it's when things break down, so particularly when delays come into our processes, when we, um, you know, we expect to deliver something by a certain time and we don't, looking into why those delays occur is a key part of it because again it's about flow if work is flowing there's no delays um, but where it can't flow because people aren't available or um, we come across a problem we can't solve or we need someone else to come in and do something for us and things stop then that's where the Kanban lens looking at um, your work through through that lens really helps um, so, for, ex for example, the, the kind of change that Kanban brings in the way you look at stuff is, um, if I take an example like um, uh, cancer treatment in a, in a hospital, I know it's not, a, friend, not a, a happy thing to think about all the time, but it's, it's actually one of those processes which is really vital and when it's affecting us, you know, completely. So, the natural way to think about work in a hospital because you've got lots of expensive people and you've got lots of expensive machines is to think about it from the point of view is are these people and are these machines working all the time so that as many people as, as possible can get treated and so the way that res results the kind of process that comes out of that thinking is we make sure that those people never run out of work those machines never run out of work so we get uh, an appointment book six months ahead we make sure that all the x-ray machines all the, all the appointments with consultants and so on are fully booked up so that um, we know that the people that can do this really vital work are always there and are always going to be used if you look about it, look at it the same process from the point of view of the patient they get one of these appointments and turns out absolutely everything's fine okay you go away maybe it turns out that you actually need to see someone and everything is booked yeah. up months ahead so you get this first appointment yeah. you find out you need to do something else and you've got to wait a long time before you get to another appointment and then you book in for that one and they find there's a long time before you can get the operation or whatever it is so this actually is a real example which um, from a hospital in sweden where they decided to look at it the other way around look at it from the point of view of the piece of work, and the piece of work in this case is the patient. So you think about what is the experience of that patient and how do we take out all the delays? And it turns out you organize the work slightly differently. People are still gonna be busy, but it's we don't book everything up in advance. We actually make sure people are there to respond to these things. And then you can get the appointment. Yes, you need to do something else and have another X-ray and then you need to get some treatment and these are able to be, be scheduled very quickly in a way like that. So that's part of the kind of thinking where you're looking at a process of finding out where the delays are and looking at it, instead of looking at it from everybody's busy, we must be producing as much work as possible. You know, we, we couldn't produce any more work, could we? Because there's no time in the day when people aren't you can't working. Fit in. And yet the experience for patients in that kind of process is delay, 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 delay. And it's very, very unsatisfying. And it's not just in, you know, it's, it's all kinds of ways where we find if you take delay out of work, you take take delays, all these delays, the people who are happy about it, their customers. And, mm -hmm. you, you know, you may find that, you know, in that kind of process, someone who is very expensive, you know, a consultant or, you know, a, a, a massive scanner or whatever that is very expensive to run, sometimes it's not being used um, but yeah. the overall experience is um, is one of flow you know and so that's right. that's the kind of thing so it's not so much that there's pushback but but 
this sort of change of the way you look at work is is not obvious always <laughs> and we sort of feel yeah we sort of feel that because i'm working so hard we must be delivering value mustn't we and yet if you step back at it look at from the point okay well is the person i'm trying to deliver value to getting value from me all the time and then we find it's not necessarily the case yeah it's like re-engineering um just kind of the values that that we that we present right so uh you know it's a perfect example like for example you're talking about the hospital of kind of putting humans at the center of the design kind of process which you know is very you know service design focused um and just human-centered design versus looking at it from we have to optimize the people within the hospital or optimize the, the usage of machinery. Like that's not what the end all goal is. You're providing a service to, to heal people. So why not make that experience as, as kind of smooth as possible? Mm. Which makes a you know a ton of sense if you you know can uh, can deliver that in an effective method mm. without you know people feeling too much pain. Cool. So we're talking about putting, you know, humans at the center of of work and, and as we do it, which kind of really brings us to our topic of the day, which is, is work broken? And if so, how could we fix it? Now, my initial thought for this conversation is, I guess we have to kind of classify broken, but in my personal opinion, I believe that the way that work is being created and moved is is changing. Um, is it broken? Probably. Can we fix it? Yes. It's going to take a little bit of um, a little bit of changing our habits in the way that we look at things. Right. The way that we look at how we go into the office. Of course, now with COVID out there, how we're if we're going into the office at all, can things be done electronically? Um, there's a whole bunch of components here, but I want to kind of take it back to the beginning to where we thought about how work was done. And for me, that kind of starts in, I guess, like the early 1920s or so. And I read an article a while back that pretty much said the eight-hour workday was based on factory work. It was eight hours of work, eight hours of play or leisure time, and then eight hours of sleep, which equated to the 24 hours in the day and optimized the production in factory work. Um, back in that time. Of course, that was industrial revolution. Now we're in the digital age. So do we really need to work eight hours a day? Um, I guess it's a good place to start. I want to kind of get your thoughts, kind of open up the conversation there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? And when when the idea of working eight hours work was, of course, a, a great boon to workers at that time where, who were exploited very, you know, uh, very heavily. And um, you know, could be living in the factory and working anyhow that God sends. So, um, but yeah, how do we get this as becoming a norm? And so, I think the first question to ask about is is work broken? Is just why are we working so much? You know, we, <laughs> you know, forty hours. Yeah, nice if you can get that. You know, if you're doing an important job in uh, the kinds of industries that we work in, they, uh, you, you may be finding 40 hours is a bit of a luxury. And uh, if you get holidays as well, well, good for you. But as you say, this, this is an arbitrary figure that came out of a completely different context where, um, of factory work and, and uh, uh, industrial revolution or, or whenever. And, um, by no means is it guaranteed to be applicable to where we are now. So I think there's lots of things going on as to why we have to work the hours we do, why we have to, and why in this in this context where the economy will only really function if everybody's working. You know, I mean that's uh, unemployment is very bad, but also um, you know we can't have too many people retired because they just. Uh, you know, human resources, we live longer, so we better get them working longer. 
um, you know, there's something here, there's not a solution that we can really talk about, I don't think, in this conversation, but it's worth going back to that sort of thing and saying, hang on a minute, we're working an awful lot. And is that the point of our life? If we spend a third of our life, or half of our waking hours at work or, compute, or commuting to work, it's probably longer if you include long commutes that people do. So, um, you know, is this how we want, how we imagine that life for human beings in the future should be? Could it not be that some of the great advances that we've made in the last century, in the last few centuries, but, you know, perhaps particularly in the last 20, 30, 40 years, made enormous strides, but is that resulting in a better way for humans to live? You know, that's that's the real question. And beyond the scope, probably, what we want to talk about. But, yeah, it's a big question, isn't it? And I, sorry, it's, 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 it's a very big question. And I have to think, you know, I guess the thing that comes to mind in that in that time frame is, you know, you may be taking it back to the 70s and 80s and the, you know, the, the Internet started kicked up and a whole bunch of services just ballooned and you had the big tech bubble of, of the 2000s. And and I think somewhere around that that point in time, I think it may be the, the pendulum said it's it shifted. Instead of working to live, we began to live to work, especially, you know, in the United States, you know, I, I personally personally feel and a lot of that was because we figured we could get more output with the same amount of input because of the digital, you know, digital tools that we now have. And all of a sudden, now we could produce more, we could work longer hours and get more done, which created more money, which, of course, when you're at the top of the of the you know, the, the food chain from a business perspective, the CEOs, the VPs, etc. in their minds, they probably thought, oh goodness, like now I can get even more out of my employees, which will then in turn, you know, make the company more money. All of a sudden, then you had this big jump in wealth because of the, the ability for people to maximize. And I think that's where we're, what we're starting to see now, is you're starting to see these massive, um, massive companies you know, with people with massive billions amounts of wealth that are more wealthy than some whole countries. Um, and then what that's turned into is you have others on the other side that are now thinking, is this, is this really the way it's supposed to be? Like this big discrepancy? Yeah, I, can, I, I, I think, can I not get a little bit better balance? You, you know, maybe we can see that there's a system of work. It's not just um, the decisions of individuals or the oppression of rich people on poor people or whatever is more the systems that we've created that result in um, uh, you know a continuous striving for for growth for more of stuff for more things and um, that that system you know compound interest is one of the things that do you know we've got to pay off the loan so we have to actually earn more than we were earning before otherwise we can't pay off the loans and there's so there's there are systems which drive continuous seeking after more and i think um you know if there was a way to say hang on a minute let's think about this more differently is there a different way to think about it that would be great i think we need a smaller scope for this conversation otherwise we'll, we will get lost in in uh, in uh, definitely problems we can't solve but i i think it's worth thinking about it working more is not the answer if we can work less and be more effective and particularly going back to the conversation we we're having about human design and designing systems for human beings to live if we can put the customer the client and um, the people we're trying to serve at the center of work and then we can see and maybe discover better ways of working because um, that's the that's the key I think is bringing the people that we're serving back into the centre. Even if we're in a massive democracy, um, bureaucracy, you know, even if we are part of a tiny cog in the wheel, can we bring the customer, the people that this this company serves, back into the centre of what we're doing? Yeah, absolutely. And so you know, to to kind of shrink the scope. Right. Um, like, I guess, how do we think are the most, uh, 
I guess the most impactful ways in which work is broken. I would have to think one is the concept of, you know, maybe commuting and, and actual physically getting into the office is going to be one of them. Um, another one would be the, I guess, the bureaucracy that a lot of companies have and maybe the politics and the power dynamics. Um, those are the two that really kind of kind of come to mind. Is there any others? Let's dive into those ones because they're, they're interesting ones, aren't they? I mean, did it really take a global pandemic for us to realize that not everybody in the company has to commute into the office and work eight hours in that office in order to get the best out of those people? Quite apart from, you know, it's not unusual for people in the UK to have an hour, an hour and a half commute. I guess it's the same in many um, industrial nations. And um, when you add that on to working hours, you know, very high working hours, again, we're getting a real oppression of working, basically taking out all of those 16 hours we talked about when we're not actually asleep. And then we can't get to sleep because uh, we're thinking about <laughs> thinking about work. But maybe we should be thinking about our family. Maybe we should be thinking about actually how we can make uh, uh, our families' lives, our children's lives, our grandchildren's lives better. That would be much better thing to be thinking about some of the day um, rather than this. So yes, I, I'm. I think. Um, there's a few things probably that COVID will leave us with in a positive way, um, and I expect that to be one of them, where nobody can really argue that um, you have to come in into an office if you're working on your own um, at a computer, um, and the people you're collaborating with are some, you know, in another office somewhere, they also had to commute into that office, where we can, um, we can change some of those things for the better. Um, we still need to get together with people and I think another a year of Zoom meetings and team Teams meetings and uh, Google Hangout meetings and all the rest of them uh, realise that actually physical presence of another person makes a difference. It's wonderful we've got um, you know great screens and great video cameras and all the rest of it. But it's not the same as having someone in the same room giving them a hug. So, um, yes, so, you know, giving time um, to actually be with people as well and to actually share time and share leisure as well as, as work, um, that's also um, a good thing to think about. And, um, yeah. And that's, that's bringing up for me a couple of things just when, you, when you're talking about going into the office. Um, right, because I've noticed just over the past year um, a couple of changes of things that I haven't been able to pick up on. You know, things like body language. You know, it's a little bit different. You know, when you're when you're through a, a digital medium. Um, also, the other kind of impromptu conversations, the water cooler talk, that sometimes is a good break from your normal day to day work, or you know, the ability to. Um, you know, catch people in a, in a hallway or, or, or randomly that you see and you're able to interact and and kind of develop a rapport with maybe new individuals or maybe people leaving the company, you're able to, to, to say your goodbyes. Um, so there's a lot of different kind of avenues there and now these things have to be scheduled. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit different. Um, mm. So there's a balancing act, right? So I, I think we do need some more um, physical face-to-face -face time and maybe that's creating more physical spaces where people can meet and congregate in a safe environment um, in the future hopefully there's no more pandemics coming across but you can't say that for, for a fact well we've had pandemics since uh, human society started you know so uh, <laughs> to say this is the last one is rather optimistic uh, but hopefully we'll we, we will have learned quite a lot uh, in this one that prepares us for the next one. We maybe won't make quite the same mistakes we did on this one. Um, and and maybe um, the preparations which most governments had started but not completed um, uh, would, you know, we will be we will be ready for the next pandemic. But um, yeah, hopefully uh, this one's not gonna last forever either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully at some point in time we'll, we'll get over it. I mean, but it, it brings me to kind of like the next point, which is 
you know, we look at what does the what does the teams look like in this situation? And I think one of the one of the issues that I've seen um, people have difficulty with is just the power structure. Sometimes the bureaucracy in between teams when we talk about his work broken. Um, oftentimes senior leaders and stuff, they like to walk around, you know, come out from their offices and actually tap people on the shoulder and see what they're working on. Um, be able to, you know, institute projects or delegate and, and the concept of quote unquote, seeing people work in order to understand that work is getting done is I think sometimes, or can be a flawed uh, sense of management. Um, and so in this day and age, we have to kind of reevaluate how, what that looks like and almost focus our efforts on what is this particular individual producing for us? Are they accounting and producing numbers and reports? Are they actually making X widgets in a factory? Are they doing writing digital code? Like what is the output from that individual and focus on that? I asked a really good starting point is we aren't interested in the hours people work, we're interested in the product that is produced and the value that goes to the customer. So making that switch can also help with the first problem, which is probably people in our country, our companies are working too much. Um, and, or if they are, if their work is measured by, from the time they enter the door of the office to the time they left the door of the office, and that's our measure of how much work they did, um, we are completely losing track of that thing that you mentioned is, what do these guys produce? What is the result? And particularly, what is the result for our customer? Not what is the result in terms of, okay, another 20,000 20, pages of reports. You know, that's, that's wonderful, isn't it? Well, no, it's not actually, unless it produces something that is of value to the overall goal, which is to provide a service to the customer. Um, and we can usually, even when we're producing a product, a physical product, we can usually translate that into this this is a service to the customer that we're doing. We give them a car, but it's really the, the service of independent transport that we're delivering. And so that you know that switching round of, um, of thinking about why we have employees, why you know why we want to collaborate with other workers to get something done, it's because we get because we get something of value for the customer and so it's a difficult thing to do because i think for lots of reasons but again it come back to that systems thing what systems do we live in and what is the effect of those systems on the people in the organization and um, the system beats the people you know put good people into a bad system they can't do good work so again it's trying to help managers to understand that what well, they're responsible they're responsible for the system they're not responsible to go around as you say tapping people on the shoulder and said are you done yet um, it's it's really to understand the system that they're in and that's um that's a new discipline it's um you know, systems thinking has been around for a long time understanding systems thinking in management is is low really and um, again that should be some some of the things that we're we're interested in getting better, um, better understanding in our companies about, you know, you've created a system and look at the, look at the effect of that system on, on. Yeah, looking holistically at the system um, is kind of bringing up bringing up some stuff for me, and I'm thinking about just, you know, when you typically go into the office um, and what that looks like. Um, so the system of, for example, hiring. Um, one of the ones that you can see on the internet and people put memes up as they say, hey, um, we have an opening for an entry level position, but they want 15 years of experience. Like that's not something that's, that's going to equate from an HR perspective. Um, so it's little things, little tweaks like that, that we really have to look at holistically. Are, are we even hiring people the right way? Hiring is so important. And of course, no, nobody's going to disagree with that statement. You know, we know hiring is important. We want the best people. Um, 
and uh, you know so we have all these structures and these these procedures for interviewing and you know classifying the questions that we ask and all the rest of it and writing an exact person spec so we get the right person from from this approach and again i think there's things to rethink about this i think there's there's ways that we should think for example we need to recruit teams not not just recruit people um, not just specify it's this kind of person that i want and then you end up with a company or a department or a team with exactly the same kind of people in now again there's lots of uh, there's lots of research that we can draw to understand that the best teams are diverse teams diverse in all sorts of ways but you've got a team that doesn't all think the same way now if you go down i'm i recruit individual by individual and i cut and paste the person spec from the last one and you end up surprisingly with a lot of very similar looking people who think in the same way and you don't have a diverse team so straight away in, if you're looking at building strong teams you, you there's a there's a way to do, do this which is now I've had a conversation one conversation in particular stands out for me um, with a good friend of mine um, we were talking about um, the balance of uh, men and women in software development teams and he's you know he was he's in favor of diversity he wants to make sure that women are represented in IT and so on uh, but he said to me well look what the most important thing to us is that we get the best programmers and so we have tests for programmers we you know we give them hard program you know hard bit of code to decipher and find out who can do best and we pick the people who are best at that that doesn't result in a diverse team all the guys all the people in his team were guys you know it's not surprising <laughs> it's sort of you've picked on a particular part of this job which is writing code and as most programs will tell you, the best ones, um, that that is not just that is not the whole job. So if instead of that we say we need a diverse team, we need people that don't all come from the same background. Um, you know, I'm sure you've heard the story of the uh, the hand dryer, uh, which works perfectly, um, and every white guy that goes in then to the, into the washroom dries his hands black guy puts his hand hands under the dryer doesn't turn on ah, maybe they needed a diverse team <laughs> at least to test out the dryer do you know what i mean and people get very focused on the on the one output right and they, and they think like okay that's going to cover everything if i focus on the one programmer or i focus on this one marketing initiative to i'm going to drive sales and traffic and whoever is able to drive sales and traffic that's who i want well, at the same time, there are some systems here that have created better opportunities for others than than some out there. So that has to be taken into the account. And then also, sometimes you need that counterbalancing, you know, opinion or viewpoint in order to be able to be more inclusive, you know, to make sure that you're you're grabbing all of the all of the data points and the skill sets you need to make a good service, to make a good product. Um, whether that's, you know, uh, people of all different races nationalities religions um ability levels accessibility you know, th those type of things often get forgotten about maybe it's because uh, i'd find it hard to believe that it's intentional but i also think that uh people don't think about it i, th I think you can point to some things which is systemic and you know for example like you have to have a person spec and because you have to have a person spec and they take a long time to write, you cut and paste the previous one. So you get people that are all to the same spec. Uh, but I think um, it's also this, there are things that are non-intuitive. Don't, it doesn't seem right to us that in a software development team, I wouldn't pick the person who's a better programmer because I want a diverse team. So I've already got four white guys who went to the same kind of school and the next guy comes along and he's a better programmer i say look at the look at the needs of the team 
that we want to have a team which is has got different ways of thinking that are going to come up with different solutions. They're going to think of a different way of communicating with the customer, whatever it is, you know, it's just the research is absolutely clear. If you you don't get the best team from just having the best people all in one team. That's you know, so it's maybe more in terms of when you think about how you how you build teams from people who are already in the company, not just the recruiting. But I think it does apply there as well. We, you know, we've got to think about that in a different way. Um, I, you know, I think, you know, another another way in which I think work gets broken. Um, it maybe re relates to your point of living in bureaucracies and large organisations with hierarchical management, but it's this thing of keeping everybody busy. And this relates to the Kanban conversation we were having, um, where um, it's just that classic thing of, I know I must be producing the most, more work than, than is possible because everybody is busy because they all worked 10 hours a day and they were all sat at their terminals looking at the screen. And how could they have produced any more work because they worked all hours, you know? And it is true that it's not as though they were sat at the screen on Facebook or something, it's, it's they were really working. And so it's the busy working, the busyness, and the busyness does not relate to outputs, does not relate to outcomes. And so that's where, um, you know, it's crucial um, to have a different way of looking at, you know, and I say the Kanban lens is one way that I use to sort of get people to look at that busyness in a different way. Because doing work generates work for someone else. And if we're not doing the right work, the work that those other people do is complete waste. You know, um, because there are so many these long gaps in hospital appointments in many medical uh, processes, then they need an army of clerks and uh, secretaries and people on the on the phones to book in the appointment. And of course, they miss the appointment. So because they forgot it was so long, we booked so long ago. So we need to book it again. You know, busyness can generate work which is not positive positively working towards the outcome of work that we want so it's it's um you know think of yeah think of the work you're doing in terms of the outputs think of the people as human beings not just cogs in the system uh, but see how the system that surrounds them actually impacts heavily on how well they can do and how how much they can contribute to the positive outcomes that you're looking for in work yeah, I mean, that. I think that's a very, I guess, underrepresented point. Um, oftentimes, we feel like we just must be busy and our days must be jam-packed with some type of work, right? Um, either you're, you're doing this report and people are jumping and getting hundreds and hundreds of emails for either notification or, or information um, while losing sight of the work that actually needs to get done, the things that actually matter. And I think that's... You know, personally, the responsibility of, of often the middle management tier as well as the executive tier is to not necessarily, at sometimes, yes, delegate work that maybe you shouldn't be doing. Understand that portion of it. But I think on the flip side of that, one of the responsibilities as well is to evaluate the work of your people and say, what actually doesn't need to get done? What isn't important? What can we take off of your plate? Uh, maybe it was an outdated process in which we were sending information to a different team that no longer needs to be sent because of technology. Like reevaluating those those processes and, and that those data points to understand your the people on your team, so that way you can right size the workload for them. Um, I think it's a point that's that's completely missed. And then for, personally, I think there's a huge element of time in which if you if you aren't filling it with a massive amount of work you're able to look at your own role and look at other roles within the company and have a little bit more of an imaginative lens about how things are doing when you have when people have downtime let the brain wander and sometimes great creativity can come from that downtime and if you're constantly slammed with work it's gonna be very difficult to 
for your brain to kind of mm. naturally come up with Indeed. different ways to yeah. do it because you're just uh, so busy trying to check the box. There, there is that possibility of your brain being in this state of flow where things are you're focused on the task it's making sense you're not really thinking about the actions that you're carrying out but work is getting done um, but at other times your brain has to work in a different way because it can't stay in this um, focus state for very long for, you know there's there are these few times when it does and it, it lasts for hours but um, only if you're not interrupted, only if you're not um, stopped. And our brain actually needs those periods of mind wandering, of making connections between places to find better ways of working, to find different ways of working, and um, uh, you know, come up with creative solutions to the problems we're solving. Um, and that's definitely true. So with that, I'm interested to kind of, I guess, pivot into a, I guess prototyping almost like implementation. So looking forward, let's say that we were supposed to hit some of these topics with um, companies looking at the way we work, reevaluating bad systems, kind of holistically um, working on things from start to finish. How do we feel that these changes would change the way we work and, and fix them? What would that what would that future look like? Yeah, fixing fixing all those problems is is not straightforward, is it? Uh, uh, there's some things that um, you know apparently are not within our our grasp to even address. Um, they should be thought about. They should be talked about because if we don't address some of the really big systemic problems, um, then the human race is heading for a disaster. Not just you know not just uh, we're not going to make as much profits in this company as we thought um, so you know we can't keep consuming energy or sorry the growth of the consumption of energy cannot continue at the current rate without after you know i think someone did the you know the uh, the graph you know you carry this graph with an exponential growth on it and in 200 years the surface of the earth is glowing red just from the amount of energy that is being consumed you know we know that you know, it's, it's back of the envelope stuff to tell that some of these big problems cannot continue as they are. They will break before we get to the, you know, the state where, they, where the earth is glowing red on the surface. Um, but, um, so big problems, it's not that we should ignore them, but we can't maybe address those in our day-to-day -day working. Um, I think some of the principles are about bringing the customer back into the center of what we do. That's one of the key um, design thinking idea that you brought into this conversation where uh, the customer has to be at the center of it and making sure that we deliver um, to that customer. So whatever we do in the organization, we've got a sense of what this organization, organization does for people is something worthwhile and something I'm a part of. Even though I only clean the washrooms, I'm part of that goal to make this... Um, to make the world a better place because of what this company is doing. So I think that that sense of bringing that into the centre again. Um, now I also I also think the sort of respect for human beings need to needs to come into um, how we handle bureaucratic organisations. You know, bureaucratic hierarchical organisations have been successful since the start of civilization. I'm not sure that we're going to crack this one because we may uh, it may be we haven't cracked it yet <laughs> yeah well I mean the Egyptian civilization lasted what four or five thousand years I can't I don't know my history well <laughs> enough but a long long time and because they very um, effectively cracked that hierarchical top-down organization and the guy at the top you know whether he's a god or a pharaoh or whatever or buried in a pyramid all the, all the organisation, that whole society, sort of flowed from that um, hierarchy and where you were in the hierarchy. Um, it's not a very human, surprisingly, although it's the most successful human way, you know, way of managing human organisations, um, it's not very humane. It's not very human in our humanness to do things like that. Actually, 
the kind of things that we talk about in terms of effective teams, of people sharing ideas, of different people coming with different viewpoints and melding them into something that's really valuable. And that to me is a much more humane way of thinking about work. Um, and to get to that place, we have to deal with some of the systemic problems that prevent us you know, building teams like that. And when we work in a hierarchical organization and you know, he's the boss and I'm the worker, Perhaps again, we need to try and invert that relationship. When you go and see your boss, who has the agenda? You know, mm. most managers think it's my mm -hmm. job if I'm going to meet with the team or I'm going to meet with an individual in my team. I've got an agenda and these are the things I want them to do. It's much more sensible, if you think about it, that when you have a one-to-one -one with your boss, you have the agenda. These are the things that I can't do because of my position in the organization. You know, I've got goals, we've agreed goals between us, what, what we're trying to do, what I'm trying to do. But these are the things that I can't unblock. Now you're in a different position in the, in the company, you can unblock these things if I give them to you. And that requires just a different way of having a meeting with your boss <laughs> and your boss having a meeting, you know, you as a manager having a boss with an employee. If you're going to have a meeting with me, I want you to come to me with an agenda of how you want me to unblock stuff so that you get your work done, so that you deliver value to your customer uh, or our customer. So, you know, it's things like those different ways of thinking about um, the, the whole aspect of, um, I just, you know, this might be a place to finish, but I just remember um, I took on a client and became uh, part of their um, management team for a while. And uh, we were doing a very big project, um, transformation of internal systems and billing systems and all the rest of it in this company. Four or 500 people on the project are using agile methods. We're using a method called Scrum and, um, you, know, you know, massive, uh, a massive project to, to transform these these particular systems and I was about six weeks into this assignment and I realized I was just really I was, I was really depressed by just by the organization by what I was continuously hearing and, and somebody who worked there a long time he said Andy you've got to realize that there are two parts of your job there's doing your job um, and the other part of your job is not being blamed when things go wrong. And I realized that most of the people I was talking to and asking, you know, could you get this stuff done or whatever, half of their time is being spent not being blamed when the stupid idea that I was suggesting to them <laughs> would go inevitably go wrong in this organization. So they were sending around memos with, you know, a lot of people in the CC line, I don't know how many people were in the BCC line, basically ensuring that when this stupid idea was implemented and went wrong, even if it was a good idea, but that was defeated by the organization, they would not be blamed because they said it wouldn't work in the first place. And I realized that, yeah, actually, if you want to survive in those very bureaucratic organizations, and people, of course, work there for years, maybe going in as, a, as a, an apprentice and, and coming out when they retire, you know, if you want to survive in those kinds of organizations, you don't really want the agenda that we've been talking about of change, changing systems and, you know, yeah. overcoming the better way of mm -hmm. working. You want to find a way up to the next rung of the ladder. You know, how do you get to the next rung of the ladder? Well, you behave like yeah. everybody else at the next rung. And, you know, you prove that you can keep this organization going in the way it's always gone. So, yeah, it was a really helpful thing to me. And actually, I, I relaxed a lot more after that and, and enjoyed the project, even though there were all sorts of things about it that were completely broken um, and I wasn't able to fix. Um, but yeah. uh, it was nevertheless a, uh, a good project to be in and we did some, some good work as well as realizing that organizations they are bad systems. <laughs> they're they're tough. They're, they're tough to crack with with bad systems. You know, I'm just looking forward, and you know, I see if if 
need to wave a magic wand and you know these systems were fixed i can just see a more natural harmonious work experience for people um i think we're you know the pivot and more towards just work to live make the needs met and then once those those objectives are completed we get back to the important things in life so we get back to our family and having fun with our hobbies and you know hanging out with friends and really really connecting on a on a on a human level rather than constantly just going in and pushing the button to push the button for 80 hours a week but to wrap it up yeah i want to i want to i want to close so i'm going to hit a couple of the couple of bullet points as, as far as what we've been talking about to see um and let me know if i, I missed anything about to answer our, our how work is is broken question so a couple of things that we want to look at is we want to look at what do our physical presence look like whether it's in the office or out of the office from a remote work type of, of perspective. We want to reevaluate the hours worked on and, and the focus on our tasks. Um, we want to take a look at the systems from start to finish when we're talking about either hiring or letting people go or um, the complex systems and, and removing it and being focused on the human rather than just generating output just to generate output. So holistically looking at that, we want to recruit teams and not people so that way we can focus on more diverse teams to get a better school of thought, which will create better outputs in the end. We want to reevaluate what busy means. So not being busy just to be busy, but to actually create outputs that make sense and are right size. Also create a little bit of space for imagination, letting the mind wander, maybe even a little bit of boredom which can lead to that next version of creativity. Um, and last but not least, we want to make sure that we keep humans at the center and have respect for the people and their different situations that are in our working environment on a regular basis. Did I miss anything there? It sounds a great summary, Mike, and it's been a great pleasure talking to you and uh, uh, look forward to the next time. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you all of our listeners for tuning in. Um, Andy's been great, so I want to say a, a great thank you to to him and his insights. Because I definitely wouldn't be able to come up with all of these all by myself. So thank you, and this is what you know this is all about. So it's been truly my pleasure to have you on the show. Um, and uh, stay tuned after the break for our idea prop insight. Hey, so for this idea profit inside, I wanted to highlight this company that I found called um, a diff and they have these fancy jackets here that you can see but the cool part about it is as we scroll down this jacket actually converts into a tent that can be used while you're outdoors so if you're an avid hiker or something like that you could utilize it the cool part about it is is it's a buy one give one type of um, system in which you buy one and a another one is given to a person that has been displaced or potentially homeless and it's kind of a one-size-fits-all um, type model so I thought that was neat to kind of highlight just from a humanitarian perspective so um, we'll definitely put some uh, notes in the show notes that way if you'd like to pick one up and do your good deed for the day you're more than welcome thanks until next time mm-hmm.